0: Welcome back to In Omnia Paradis. I'm Angela here with my co-host Jay. And today, in honor of Women's History Month, we have a very special Women's History episode for you all. Women supporting women. (laughs) Unlike
1: WLLW, which I learned on TikTok, is woman-loving woman.
0: Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. In the queer community. Oh, okay. Very cool. So today, we went through and tried to round up 10 women who we didn't know much about, who we thought everyone should know a little bit more about. They're gonna duke it out for the best woman. Kidding. Oh lord. (laughs) That instantly brought me back to Wonder Woman 1984 when people ask Gal Gadot and was it Kristen Wiig? Yes. Yeah like whose character won? Whose was better? It's like they were supposed to be friends y'all. Friends that unfortunately were corrupted by a false god but friends. Today is all about just learning a little bit more and you know possibly thinking about how these women have shaped the world that we live in today because we don't actually have very many recent people on the list. So they've definitely made contributions that have affected the world that we have grown up in. Give me one moment. I'm going
1: to go from the- <laughs> You want like to say griff a bit. <laughs>
0: which I actually don't know why we do because we edit this podcast. So we can just edit out the dead air. We only have 10 women on our list today. However, there are so many others that we have wanted to talk about, but we unfortunately just don't have the time given the fact that we are trying to keep all of our episodes under an hour now. So in our show notes, we are going to link back to more women who we definitely want all of you to get to know and who we will try to spotlight in our Instagram stories this week so remember to follow us at InOmniaPod on instagram so that you can learn a little bit more about the people we talk about and the people we didn't have time to talk about today are you doing the outro already <laughs> <laughs> you know just gotta make it circuitous so that way no matter when you log in tune in listen in drop the pin for this episode <laughs> you feel like you have some continuity would you like to start i can start First up on my list, I actually have a mother-daughter duo, Felicitas and Sylvia Mendez. When I first started my research, Felicitas, her name came up first, but going through and learning a little bit about what her story was, I noted that there was no way to talk about her without talking about her daughter as well. So, Felicitas is a civil rights pioneer from California in the 1940s. Felicitas and her husband, Gonzalo, and their three children lived in Westminster, California in the 1940s on a farm. For those of you who may not be aware, Westminster is a town in Orange County and now it's kind of a sprawling suburb, Well, we'll go with suburb, but back then it was a really big farming community with a major Latine population. Felicitas asked her sister-in-law, I believe, to take her children and enroll them in school when the newest school year started after they had moved to the area. Felicitas's sister-in-law was of fairer skin. Her children were of fairer skin. They all went to the local all-white school because segregated schools were still a thing then. And Felicitas's children were accepted but, or I'm sorry, Felicitas' sister-in-law's children were accepted. However, her children were turned away and sent to the Mexican school down the road. Quotes Mexican school. So inspired by this, Felicitas urged her husband to open a lawsuit against the Los Angeles County School District and encouraged others in her community to bring their stories as well. They filed a class action lawsuit with the state of California and they actually won and theirs was the first story and the first case to set precedence for Brown v. Board of Education. So through Felicitas's lawsuit, she ended de jour or legalized school segregation in the state of California. And Thurgood Marshall, who argued Brown v. Board of Education, he was working for the NAACP at the time, who partnered with Felicitas to file all of the briefs and motions needed for this case. And so he actually used this case as the precedence for the future case in 1964. And there was the first lawsuit as well to cite social dynamics as a cause to end segregation, because it's. specifically. Specifically noted that having separate schools led to non-white children feeling inferior. Yeah, so they are a little-known pair. Sylvia was Felicitas' daughter who was originally turned away from the all-white school and in 2011 she was actually honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom and there was a reenactment done at the White House of her case. The case, not her being turned away from school. I followed up on that. I know it sounds really weird. I don't know why they do this sometimes, but they do.
1: So prior to this... They were just able to say, we don't want you here because you don't look like us.
0: Yes. So in the state of California, back in the 40s, segregation in schools was a thing, but it was actually interesting because it was set up so that there were schools for all white children and then separate schools for Native American children and Asian children. There wasn't anything specifically that talked about children of Latin A descent or Black descent. But they were generally then grouped in to either an Asian or a Native school, or if they lived in an area with a high enough concentration, they got their own school. Okay. But this case threw all of that out. And in 1946, Judge Paul J. McCormick ruled to end the school segregation. And he says, and I really like this quote, the paramount requisite in the American system of public education is social equality. Do you really like
1: that quote? Yeah.
0: why not well no it just sounds like you were saying it's like oh like you know as i often say and then throw that out there no i don't i do not often say that i did not know that before i was researching this but i really like this quote so so. like some say and then throw out
1: like a quote typically about like a fish or like a sport or something
0: oh lord No, this is just one of the quotes that I found when going through this. And I really like it because I think that what our public school system should be equitable for all. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think where people get confused a bit. So the difference between equality and equity.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you know? Um, Equality means everyone has the same thing. Equity means everyone gets what they need to be on the same plane. Yes, that's not typically how it's
1: described. So typically equality is like you said, everyone gets five dollars. And right. equity is typically twisted into everyone they want everyone to have the same ending. So when people hear that, they think, oh, at the end of the day, no matter whether you're the CEO of Apple or nothing wrong with this, but you do a more blue-collar job, you're gonna earn a hundred dollars. That's what they assume equity is. But I think the way you explained it is much clearer because they hear it as well, we want the same outcome. It's Like, we don't need the all, we don't, aren't fighting for the same end outcome, but we're ending, we're aiming for the same starting outcome, which is Mm -hmm. a harder, more complex concept to navigate around. Because, like, if we were to still, right, as societies now give everyone a million dollars, communities who have been disenfranchised and socioeconomically pushed down are still going to have
0: only a million dollars.
1: Versus everyone up there can buy another private jet
0: or a yacht right i feel where people get defensive as well is when they hear same starting point they feel like things are going to be taken away from them it's like no one necessarily wants to take things away from you it's that we want other people to get more and maybe there's like there's a freeze maybe you don't get as much until other people get what get their basic needs met which still sounds slightly scary and i don't want to scare anyone away from this it's just it's not about you losing things it's about other people getting what they need
1: so society can be better, not just like, so yes. one person, take away from one person to give to another. So we as a human species can do better.
0: hmm Yeah. So that is Mendez v. Westminster. If you want to look into it a little bit more, you can do that. One of the things that I will fact check, I didn't fully look into this because it just made me a little upset, is that apparently in Orange County at the time, all Mexican schools were called Mexican remedial schools. Eesh. Right? But yeah, thank you, Felicitas and Sylvia. Right, Jay, who do you have? My first person is someone I've loved to talk
1: about ever since the Proud family started airing when they did their first tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. for Black History Month. I believe Dijonay was Madam C.J. Walker, and I didn't know who she was, I didn't know what she did, but I liked the name, I liked the character, and I liked the sass that Dijonay threw in with the character, so for all book reports and things throughout all entry schools, write about a favorite person. I would always write about her, and she's still such a great. Role model. She is the first woman, female, self made millionaire in America, which is insane to think about. And personally, what even resonates more is it is off of her beauty hairline and mm-hmm. serums to help people with more textured, kinky, coily hair grow and thrive better. To start off with, Madam C.J. Walker was born December 23rd, 1867, which makes her a Capricorn. <laughs> she was born in Louisiana to sharecroppers who had been born into slavery. and and her biological name is Sarah. She's their fifth child and she was the first to be born after the Emancipation Proclamation which is insane obviously to think about. She was orphaned at seven married at 14. At this point Angela you would be married for half your life at this point. Dear lord no. So Madam C.J. Walker was inspired to create a hair care product line for black women after a scalp disorder caused her to lose much of her own hair. She came up with a treatment that would completely change the black hair care industry. Her method known as the Walker system involved scalp preparations, lotions, and iron combs. Her custom pomade was a wild success while other products for black hair largely manufactured by white businesses were on the market. She differentiated by emphasizing its attention to the health of the woman who would use it. She sold her homemade product directly to black women using a personal approach that won her loyal customers, and she went on to employ a fleet of saleswomen to sell the product whom she called beauty culturalists. Oh, I love that. Same. Um, she became one of the best known Black women, Black Americans, embraced by the Black press. Success for business and table enabled her to live in homes, plural, that were far cry from the one she would grown up in. Her her townhouse in Manhattan became a salon for members of the Harlem Renaissance, and then her daughter inherited it. And she has another home in Villa Luaro in Irvington on the Hudson, designed by Black architect Richard Tandy. Oh that's so cool I have not watched the Netflix series with um, Octavia Spencer I've I've heard it was good I've heard mixed things but in general she's just very inspirational I've always personally been very business minded and money minded and beauty minded so I was like oh my god this is awesome and like self made Mm -hmm. completely obviously like unlike some other people who consider themselves self-made her parents went from being slaves meaning owned as property to being the first female millionaire of any color that's so cool she invented the hot comb right that sounds familiar but okay. it's not in my notes but yeah. i don't doubt that
0: yeah i think that's always how i was taught about her growing up it was definitely emphasized that she revolutionized hair care but i never knew that she was the first female millionaire
1: um according to some website the first hot comb was designed by a frenchman marcel
0: Grateau. lies no just kidding <laughs>
1: But yeah, just like imagine that.
0: I know. And that's so cool. Like, she ma- so she started out making them herself. Do you know, did she expect? Band and get a little assembly line going? Or did she always have more of a... I mean, she must
1: have because she had like a full-fledged business where she was able to hire on sales reps to kind of like, not in an MLM way, but like mm-hmm. sell to have people to sell for her. She must have excelled somehow and like right. learned how to do all of this and done it. I'm sure much better because she could speak directly to the community for whose hair. Mm-hmm. Like she was a case study for
0: herself. So cool. Thank you, Madam CJ Walker. All right. Next up on my list, I have Lita Connolly, so full name actually Eliza Burton Lita Connolly. And she was one of the first female Native American attorneys and the first female attorney admitted to the Kansas Bar Association. Woohoo! hoo mm-hmm. So Lita was born in 1869 and she went to, oh yeah. And she graduated from the Kansas City School of Law in 1902, after which she became the first woman admitted to the bar. And according to the Women's Museum of California, Art Connolly's biggest case, is that she launched a protection to protect and preserve the Huron Cemetery in Kansas City where many of her own ancestors were laid to rest. And Lita herself actually arranged for protection of the land with members of her tribe and she would literally stand guard with a musket with them for years. And eventually the case did go to the Supreme Court in 1909 and she became the first Native American woman to argue a case in front of the Supreme court. Unfortunately they did dismiss her case but nevertheless she persisted and in 1916 the cemetery was designated a federal park. Kansas. It's very cool. Like I like that she not only followed her passion but she followed her passion to help preserve her cultural tradition and identity. Like she was able to merge the work that she did with her everyday life and I feel like that's something that we don't get to see very much anymore.
1: I agree. hmm Kicking ass and taking names. Yep.
0: So thank you very much, Lita Connolly, for leading the way.
1: Dad joke. Yep. <laughs> My next person I found in a book I was given called Bad Girls Throughout History. Her name is Maria Mitchell, born August 1st, 1818, which makes her a Leo. She is the first female astronomer. She was raised in a Quaker family that was unique for valuing education for both boys and girls. What do you think of it? Oh my lord, who would have thought? At the age of 12, she helped her father calculate the exact time of a solar eclipse. And at 27, she opened a school that admitted non-white children to... segregation in the public. You go Maria Mitchell. I was actually reading too. Was she a mathematician? Mm, Astronomer and science is where I found most of her work. okay. She's the first American woman to discover a comet by telescope, earning her a gold medal prize from the King of Denmark. She was the first female member of the science academies. First female professional employed by the government, hired by the coastal service to be a celestial observer. First astronomy professor at Vassar, and she found out that there were some younger men, professors who were getting paid more than her, and she fought for higher pay and won. You're here. In addition to all of these good things for, as we now refer to it as STEM, she was an active suffragette, abolitionist, and she even boycotted cotton clothing to protest slavery.
0: I love it. I'm here for Maria Mitchell.
1: I know, and I had never heard of her before deciding for us to do this podcast. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so I, I have a couple things, but first of all, imagine your business card got to say Celestial observer. Like, I know that there is probably a ton of work that went into that, but imagine telling someone like, oh yeah, I'm a celestial observer. I just don't want to be afraid people would get too woo y about it. Possibly? I mean, to me, it just, it sounds richly decadent. Like, I imagine mm-hmm. you're on a rooftop, you're like probably be- under a glass dome. You're
1: like Beyonce in that one award show when she's pregnant on the gold chair with the headdress.
0: Yes. I see it. I really like it. Yes. Mm. Oh, I love that. I think it's really cool that the king of Denmark honored her for her discovery, but. but she wasn't honored locally.
1: Not in my book.
0: She got hired. It's like, oh, you did something that great. We'll give you a job and pay you less than everyone else. That is so American. Here, here. <laughs> Oh, she sounds very cool, though. I actually don't know much about the Quakers. Very peaceful. We could use maybe some more of them right now. Mm -hmm. Who do we got next? Alrighty. Next up on my list, I have Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind, unfortunately, lived a very short life, but she was able to... How short? I think she was 37 or 38 when she died. Okay. But she made some great contributions during it. So, Rosalind was incredibly smart, and as a teenager in the 1930s, she attended one of the few girls schools in London that taught physics and chemistry and this is where she developed her love for science, talked to her parents about it, and they were actually not initially very supportive of it but eventually sponsored her admission to Cambridge where she received a doctorate in physical chemistry. She she learned the techniques for x-ray crystallography while in Paris and she brought this back to England and became one of their foremost x-ray crystallographers I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that word and in 1951 she went to work in the laboratory of John Randall at King's College and it's there that she made x-ray images of DNA and she identified its molecular structure as part of a team in Randall's lab so Rosalind was the only woman in a team of seven and unfortunately right before they were to publish the discovery she died of ovarian cancer. Rosalind was the only x-ray expert on the team, and she was the one who actually made it possible for them to make that discovery. And after she died, the men that she was working with went forward with the publication, left her name off of it, and then to add insult to injury, they actually publicly bashed her in the publication, citing that she did not do as much much work as they did and that their discovery was made possible despite despite her hindrance on the team however because her name was mentioned this prompted historians to look into her and they resurfaced her name and her contributions and today we get to honor rosalind as the one who made it possible for us to have this initial finding of dna's molecular structure so thank you rosalind and we are really sorry about what those men did we're also Women. they need to apologize seriously, though. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, posthumously, two of the men who published the article, uh, Watson and Crick, or three of the men, Watson, Crick, and Wilkins, they won a Nobel Prize for this discovery in 1962, and I think posthumously, her name has been added. About time.
1: Mm-hmm. This reminds me of a book I had to read in high school, and there was a series with Renee Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton mm-hmm. in it. Um, did you read the Henrietta Lacks book? Right, it was in college that I read it i don't think so i don't completely recall it all but basically scientists used her cell and dna to help replicate and to help cure many many diseases we have today Mm -hmm. and like took her dna even post-mortem like her cells live on and continue to do so much work for science a quick google search Says Henrietta Wax had terminal cervical cancer and was diagnosed at Johns Hopkins, where researchers collected and stored her cancer cells. They went on to become the first immortal human cell line, which researchers called the HELA. An immortal cell line is an atypical cluster of cells that continuously multiply on their own outside of the organism from which they came, often due to mutation. Wax's cancer cells enabled science to study the human cells outside of the human body. Again, confrontational or controversial. <laughs> There we go. Since she did not voluntarily donate her science to such research, but yes, there was a book that I read. I now recall, and I think it was a college called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which became a movie. And I also believe a short, a limited series, I believe.
0: I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds very cool, but it also is definitely giving me like zombie vibes. Yep.
1: Yeah, Our short little sagu from Angela's. Um, my next person will be the lovely Eleanor Roosevelt, who I've found out is also a 2 on the Enneagram according to most websites. (laughs) She was born November 7th, 1962, which makes her a Scorpio. 1962? That doesn't seem right. That does not seem right. That might be the day she died. Give me a minute. Okay.
0: Or you found a dog. Oh!
1: No! Born Anna Eleanor Roosevelt. My bad. She's born October 11th, 1884. I gave the day she died, which makes her Libra, just like me and we have the same enneagram so i'm basically eleanor roosevelt reincarnated i i could see you as a first lady thank you so can i um <laughs> her parents both passed before she was nine and she had to deal with a lot of strife such as her husband president franklin delano roosevelt had a long time affair with his secretary which we all know was very uncommon for politics what i know she was kind of like the gung-ho spirit to bring america through the depression she was kind of the first first lady to expand what it meant to do as a first lady
0: yes wait didn't she plant the rose garden that melania trashed you can google that while I continue her other facts. Oh my god, I think she did and then I think Google. Jill Biden replanted re- it. Well, as she it. should. Okay.
1: Yes, so she expanded the role of the first lady to give a public press conference and speak at a national party convention, which is surprisingly and so scary, the fact that no first lady had ever spoken before, especially with her t- husband having five trillion terms in office. She advocated for women's rights and the women's right to work. She only had, she would hold press conferences where only female journalists were allowed, meaning like if news reporters and out wanted the story, they would need to have women on their team. She was a civil rights advocate and lobbied to make lynching a federal... And flew with the Tuskegee Airmen to bring national-wide attention to trainings of Black pilots in combat. She spoke against the anti-Japanese hysteria post Pearl Harbor, and she was the first chairperson of the UN Commission on Human Rights.
0: I'm impressed. She's cool. Um. Also, uh, so she does have her own rose garden, and it is protected by the U.S. National Park Service. So it is not the one. It is not the one that Melania ripped out. I thought she ripped up Michelle Obama's vegetable garden. the kids. I think that one too. But uh, the one that I was thinking of on the White House property, that was planted by Ellen Wilson, wife of Woodrow Wilson. Still not a great look. Yeah, but it's okay. Jill Biden has replanted it. As our first lady should. Yep. No, she's very cool. I forgot that she did so much. I remember Mm -hmm. we definitely had like a few days covering her in history class Mm -hmm. growing up, but she's also on
1: many like TV shows about the time. Like I'm sure at some point they she's referenced in a new show I'm watching, The Gilded Age on HBO. Mm-hmm. She's in the show Hollywood, um, the Ryan Murphy
0: show with Dan oh, yeah. and stuff. Like,
1: she's in that. Like, a first lady of the people.
0: <laughs> Our Diana. Next up on my list, I have Sheila Michaels. And Sheila is a woman. woman. Yes. Sheila is a woman and feminist from the second wave, as they called it, in the 60s. And she is the one who created the term Miss. So Sheila was looking for a term that was not Miss M-I-S-S or Mrs. M-R-S and was looking for a, oh, what is it called? There's your suffix. Prefix? Yes. And was looking for a prefix that was not attached to a woman's marital status so she came up with Miss and gave women a new sense of agency moving through the world from that point on because now their independence was not predicated on their being married, and they didn't have to deal with the stigma of being single. They could keep that anonymous for as long as they want. And Gloria Steinem actually adopted the term Miz for her magazine after hearing this announced in a radio spotlight when Michaels was going essentially on her own kind of mini press tour, getting the word out about how women should use Ms instead of Miss or Mrs.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would
0: go by Mrs. or... Ms. Um, I kind of like Ms. I think it's a little bit more, I don't know, to me it feels a little more snappy, kind of retro feel that I like. Like, you know how when you watch an older show and, cause you don't really hear Ms. very often now. You hear Miss or Mrs. But, when, and a lot of times when you're watching a show set in like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, you're far more likely to hear Ms. And it's just, it's nice. It's a little fun. What about you? Would you be a Miss, a Ms. or a Mrs.?
1: I don't know, I kind of see, like, pros and cons for all of it. I mean, I think Miss Miss has to do with, like, how your age. Mm-hmm. And so then when it comes to Miz or Misses. I think... I don't know. I think this is kind of like my internalized, like, patriarchy and kind of thing. Like, I like the idea of Mrs. because mm-hmm. I like the not like I like being owned. I like, <laughs> I like the concept, I like feeling the connection with it. I like knowing, like, to be a Mrs., you have a partner. I kind of like that part mm-hmm. of it. I'm not necessarily needing the whole name change part of it, but I like kind of like having that in the title. Mm-hmm. But it's not something I'm like defending to the end of time, and I could change my mind by the the
0: time that opportunity presents itself because from what I've heard changing all that paperwork is a lot. Yeah I've heard that you actually like I've heard women recommend to other women who are planning to change their name to take a full day off of work. Oof. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean but you don't do you need to legally change your prefix or can you just change it? I think
0: you can, I don't think you are assigned legally a prefix. I think okay. you can make it whatever you want. There's just generally the accepted standard of when things are used. Okay. Ooh, okay like quick sagu Have you been mammed yet? I mean, I've
1: been mammed like in retail and things, but like older and younger. Mm-hmm. And typically I feel like in some communities, like I know in like the black community, it's like much more common for like kids mm-hmm. to do. And like in the Asian community, it's very big. Thank you, Mr. Parent, last name and Mrs. Parent, last name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think like I have been, but it's not like, I don't think it's people. I think it's a much more respect thing that I, I want to make sure, you know, how old you are kind of
0: thing. I really hope it is. Because kids and like younger teenagers have been maiming me recently. Well, do I look that old, or have you been taught to be respectful?
1: that but it's also you're no longer a miss at this point you could be a
0: grandma when the terms like ma'am came out like you could be a grandma at this point Mm -hmm. no yeah miz all the way like i think it would be fun even if i was married and i had changed my name i think it'd be fun like i hear some of my some of my friends refer to my mom that way like they say miz insert last name here and i like the way it sounds Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. my god are you gonna go for the triple hyphen when you get married oh god (laughs) Angela,
1: Marie, I'm giving away your middle name, but as we've discussed, Is nothing special. <laughs> blank, last name blank, one, blank. last
0: name one, two, last name three. What is it? Brian's a really big advocate for that. Oh. The triple hyphen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know if that would be legal. <laughs> yeah so you can make it legal well fun fact for everyone depending upon your state they have different hyphen rules yeah they have different Mm. legal ways of deciding what your name can be that's why elon musk had such issues trying to find or like declaring where his son was born yeah yeah
1: that is i think racist like my last name i mean i am adopted but my adoptive family who i consider my family's last name is german but they are are Russian Jews and it got changed at the German border because they're like yeah we don't like that last name here's what
0: it's gonna be instead oh my god okay I feel so badly for everyone that that happened to erasure be- I- exactly and all because someone decided that they didn't like it couldn't pronounce it didn't know how to spell it or just couldn't be bothered to even pay attention mm-hmm. well
1: speaking of erasure my next person is Marsha P. Johnson who I think has we've been hearing about a lot more in the news as we should. No, have you not heard of her? I don't think so. So Marsha P. Johnson um, has sadly passed. I do not have her birthdays. Oh no, August 24th, 1945, which I believe makes her a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> um she was born um the article i'm reading on biography.com says african-american so she was an african-american transgender woman who was an lgbgq rights activist outspoken for trans people of color and she spearheaded the stonewall uprising in 1969 so we've heard about stonewall we heard about this upbringing a lot I always heard of it as kind of like an LGBTQ issue, but mostly led by gay men. Mm -hmm. So hearing that kind of the front, the people on the ground level, like one of them was a trans woman along with Sylvia Rivera. They then established STAR, which stands for Street Transgender Action Revolutionaries. The T originally stood for a different T word to refer to transgender people. So if you see it that way, that's how it originally was, but we have now updated it. A group committed to helping homeless transgender youth in New York City. So yes, born in nineteen. 1945 in jersey with a strong christian upbringing and we don't hear enough about the people on in these grassroots movements and a lot of these grassroots movements are started by people of color and people who these issues directly affect and impact regularly Mm -hmm. but they don't get popularized until someone else does it like I remember I was shooketh, as the kids say, when I found out that there was actually someone before Rosa Parks who did the bus thing. Mm -hmm. I don't remember her name, but she was a pregnant teenager at the time. And it was a strategic move to not have her be the center of this movement. Rosa Parks was an upstanding citizen. Mm
0: -hmm. All
1: All the boxes were checked. So when this happened, they couldn't do anything else but claim racism. But it was a strategic move to give to her first rather than the unwed black teen who started this.
0: Mm-hmm. like i get it but at the same time it's one of those things that totally gets into all of these firsts that we have listed were they actually first or were they just the best ones that looked good on paper for example like earlier when we were speaking and you had like the first woman that climbed mount everest you haven't gotten to her yet oh sorry i didn't think you who do we have up next So next I have Mia Mingus. She is in, let me get this right, you guys. Get all the wokeness. Yes, Mia is a, Mia Mingus is an American. She is a transracial, transnational adoptee from Korea, raised in the Caribbean. And then she lived in the U.S. South and is now living here in California. Mia identifies as part of the queer community and she is also a member of the Handy capable community and that is where she focuses most of her career. She is a writer, educator, and community organizer who focuses on issues of disability justice. Mia has championed many different issues in her books. She's best known for introducing the concept of access intimacy which is all about focusing on and truly understanding the needs of those who are disabled and being able to anticipate their needs in regular everyday situations. So it's all about the emphasis on learning and knowing and not being dependent on a person who needs extra accessibility to tell you what they need. It's all about being able to have those accommodations ready or to be able to see it, note it, not make a big deal about it and just provide the service needed. I don't think that's too much to ask at all. No, that's how it should be. Oh, so Mia has been noted a lot, but one that I wanted to pop out here was in 2013, she was honored by President Barack Obama as a women's champion of change in the Asian American Pacific Islander community. She does all the things. She really does do all the things. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to put a better list together, um, just because from the one that I have, I'm having a little trouble dissecting which are her interviews and which are the books that she has read, but I will pop that you mean out. written? Yeah. Books that she has <laughs> written. My bad. <laughs> books that she's <laughs> read. <written. laughs> books she's read. <laughs> Yeah. No. I'll I'll get a better list together for the show notes of the things that she has actually written versus the interviews that she has given, so that you all can learn about her and you can also read her work.
1: Love that for us yeah. and for our audience. Mm-hmm. My next person is Hetty Lamar. Born. Okay, I'm gonna check this again because now that I've gotten some born and death dates mixed up, I'd like to make sure I'm getting these correct. Always important. Yes. Born. Hedy Omar. She is an Austrian actress who started her fame in Germany in a role for the movie Ecstasy, which she was known for her nude scenes and she was the first woman to simulate completion on screen. Ooh. Yes. She was able to escape her domineering arms dealer husband, get into America and at with her husband being the good trophy wife, would have dinner with people such as Stalin and Hitler. Wow. So she escaped to America and during boarding on her cruise, she met Louis or Louise or Louis B. Mayer, who gave her a $500 contract with MGM and renamed her the most beautiful woman in the world. Typically, at the time, she was getting very objectifying roles, um, unfortunately. But a little bit later, she worked with George Antheil to invent alternative to radio wave tech, which gave the patent to the government for free, which is mind-boggling. But it was implemented in submarines in the 60s, and it was the precursor to Wi-Fi and Bluetooth as we know it so
0: cool talk about multi-talented radio waves acting most beautiful woman in the world she can do it all yeah you don't have to have beauty or brains you can have both (laughs) i thought you were interested with you don't have to have you don't have (laughs) like damn okay (laughs) well you know as chris evans would say he likes some pedestrian pedestrian. yep Alrighty, rounding out my list, I thought I would grab a fun one for you all. And we we have one more. Yeah, rounding out my list, but then your no, list. No, but We should end with your fun one. So. Oh, okay. All right. This one. All. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, I'm going back to Jane Cook Wright. As we noted before, she's a physician and researcher, and it is credited amongst the team of cancer researchers to discover chemotherapy. She was the daughter and granddaughter of two other physicians of the time. It In 1964, Wright was the only woman amongst seven physicians who helped found the American Society of Clinical Oncology, and in 1971, she was the first woman elected president of the New York Cancer Society. Wright was also appointed associate dean and head of the cancer chemotherapy department at New York Medical College in 1967. And I will have to fact check this because I pulled this directly from her article earlier. It said that she was the highest ranked black physician at a prominent medical college of the time. Yes, we love to see it. Yes. And, and definitively, she was the highest ranked black woman physician of the time. She was appointed by President Lyndon B. Johnson to serve on the National Cancer Advisory Board from 1966 to 1970, and she was also on the President's Commission on Heart Disease, Cancer, and Strokes from 1964 to 1965. Dang. Go Jane Cook right,
1: Especially with all the medical racism, check out our episode 20, I believe, like, She's putting in the work. She shouldn't have to, but she's
0: putting in the work. Mhm. Okay. I'm sorry. Can you imagine though, going from cancer to heart disease to strokes? Okay. All so very different. Okay, start from the beginning. Yes. So she started with what? Cancer and discovering chemotherapy. Okay. She worked most of her career in in oncology, so for cancer treatment. But then she also served on the boards for heart disease and strokes.
1: See, I was gonna try to make a Grey's Anatomy joke, but I like, mean, they didn't have, they've never had like. An onc-
0: oncological surgeon. I was like, oh my god, she went from like a Callie to a Christina. Like, oh, uh, Swinder? The one Christina found for Izzy. She was in yeah, but she surgeon. Make,
1: and yeah, but she didn't make a big appearance on the show. I was trying okay. to do like a big thing. Like, she went from a from a Derek to a Christina, which she did is much more impressive and real, but I was trying <laughs> to relate it back
0: to our medical basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really funny. I actually tried to um, diagnose someone the other night with my Grey's Anatomy degree, in which they got very upset with i'm sure fine. i'm sure they did i it was a joke but i was also kind of serious but like no, well, it was a joke um no but that's amazing like i mean granted we are not worthy correct yeah we're not we we can't we can't even talk about this because our only medical knowledge is through our Gray's anatomy university degree so thank you jane cook wright for doing the things that okay we can't
1: my final person is someone who through this book i asked angela and our friend amanda to pick some random numbers and got four of these six amazing women the final one i will be seeking of is excuse my pronunciation junko to buy to be spelled j-u-n-k-o-t-a-b-e-i Born September 22nd, 1939, which makes her a leaper and one month older than me. She is a Japanese mountain climber, and she is the first woman to climb Mount Everest on May 16th, 1975, which would make her... 40?
0: (laughs) Shh, doing math. 36, I believe. So, Jay, you're 36? No. You said she was one month older than you. Yes, One
1: month, September 22nd, and I'm October 22nd. There's, like, nine years in between. She's born in 1939. I think there's a few more than nine years in between, Angela.
0: (laughs) All right, I am lightly confused, but let's go for it. She
1: started climbing at the age of 10. In 1970, she led the LCC, the Ladies Climbing Club, onto a climb of Annapurna III that inspired the Everest climb she would eventually do. She would be very vulnerable with her climbs and ask questions, which is very against typical Japanese culture. So she was a bit of a rebel that way. When she was climbing Everest, she and her group was buried under Avalanches for two days. Dear God. But Sherpas found them and they continued to climb. In 1992, which was three years before I was born, one year before Angela was born, (laughs) she became the first to join the, the Club Seven Summit or the Seven Summits Club, which means she climbed the highest point on each of the seven continents. And she's also a nature conservationalist. I've heard so many things. In one of my business classes, we had to talk about climbing Everest for, like, a week. And, like, it's insane.
0: Wait, how, how does business correlate to Everest? Like, what do they do there? Like, what is the business of climbing Everest? No, like, what does... Why do business classes cover climbing Everest? Um, it was a
1: class I was told to take with my friends. It was my last business class of the year. We talked about a lot of things. It wasn't a negotiation class, but it was, like, a rash... Like, a rational thinking kind of class, like... It was, a like kind of strategy, I think. We had to read, an, I just remember, we had to read, like, multiple articles on Climbing Everest. I also won extra credit points because another week's Worth of Lessons were, like, name, pronounce all of these typically, like, designer items that people mispronounce, and I was the only one to get it right. The <laughs> only one I didn't know was, um, Faye Yogurt, mm-hmm. but I knew the rest of them, like, Givenchy, Porsche, Hermes, and, like... Ikea. Was no. that not one of them at the time? Stella Artois? Stella Artois and, um, Adidas.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Yes. But we weren't about Everest and I had to... I'm in business class. When I recently visited Sahar, we actually watched a documentary about this. Mandy Moore climbed Everest. I don't think she went to the highest peak, but I'm pretty sure Mandy Moore climbed Everest. Wow. Yes. Oof. No, I would not. I yeah. So Sahar and I watched this documentary about this uh, climber. I forget what his name is, but he was. I think in it he did Everest and he did several other places and just watching that like that's something I could never do and I totally respect these people for how they manage and their survival skills and just the way that their bodies can adapt to all of that like that's amazing. But just to go to one of our earlier points just on erasure and not to take anything away from Junko Tabei but Uh, when Sahara and I were talking about it uh, her mom was also watching with us and she reminded us that just like a lot of the people that we note as the first to do many of these things they often aren't and so in the case of Everest she had noted that the Sherpas and people who live in the area like they have been doing this for many many years previously so a lot of the people who we note as the first men and women are not because there are people who go up and clear the way for them to get up there
1: yes Mm -hmm. but there are multiple peaks on Everest. Like, there's the base camp, like, yeah. And then there's, I'm not saying that the Sherpas and people don't go all the way to the very top. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's not like, there's the part of Everest that isn't even helicopter accessible. Mm-hmm. And so like, is it been
0: proven that the, that part is still getting cleared? Well, I, well she she noted getting clearing, but she's like even that, she's like, there are often people that long ago, they sent them up first to see what would happen.
1: Correct. So all of our firsts are of modern times. Yeah. Like how there are the seven wonders of the world, and then there are the modern seven wonders of the world, and then there are the religious seven wonders of the world, and then the nature. I was really disappointed.
0: I so many issues with all of those.
1: I was so disappointed when i thought i hit so many and i only hit like one a list it's more like a bingo card
0: yeah that really bothers me i think you shouldn't be able to qualify it as like seven winners of the ancient world the modern world exactly call them something different please
1: here here to round us off
0: on a good note (laughs) the queen herself (laughs) miss dolly parton I just wanted to bring Dolly in because she made I, such an impact on your life. Obviously. You know, those Hannah Montana episodes. Working nine to five. <laughs> Dolly land. Yeah. I just thought it would be fun. And as some of you will know, hopefully, many of you, all of you know, Dolly Parton has done some really great charitable work. And most recently, she donated, was it a million dollars to Vanderbilt University where they were working on the Moderna where they were working on the COVID-19 vaccine and she made it possible for them to get to trials that much faster. So I thought that we should go ahead and take a little look at her life. Oh, here we go. Here's the most recent article I saw. On February 9th, the
1: Washington Post, Dolly Parton's Dollywood says it'll pay all tuition costs for employees pursuing a
0: higher education. Go Dolly and Dollyland. Yeah, if we're gonna go to Tennessee, I I would like to go to Dollywood. Um, I actually I looked at it a little bit, and it seems very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like it seems like she really does have something for everyone. Like she has giant roller coasters, she has little things, she mm-hmm. has entertainment, she has crafting workshops. So, do we have other information on Dolly? Yeah, you we're just like I yeah. want to talk about. It? Yeah. So. Dolly Rebecca Parton was born on January 19th, 1946, and we know her best as the fabulous country music singer that she is.
1: Who wrote, I believe, 9 to 5 Mm -hmm. and I Will Always Love You in the
0: same day. Uh, I Will Always Love You and Jolene. In the same day, same session, which she said she actually didn't even remember doing until she was looking back at the cassettes of those singles. And then it hit her like, oh, this was just a really great day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dolly is one of, I believe, 14 children? Whew. Yeah. I don't even want that many. Yeah. Dolly grew up in Tennessee with all of her siblings. Um, Her mom, actually, too. Bless her mother. 11 pregnancies in 20 years. So, like, every other year. No, thank you. Right? So, the day after Dolly graduated high school, she moved to Nashville, got signed with a recording label to write music, and for about six years others were recording her songs and then she got her own recording contract and initially she was marketed as a pop singer not a country singer because of her looks but her music wasn't doing very well so they did team her up with another team her up with another country music singer to transfer her over to country music Porter Wagoner and they sang as a duet for almost 10 years and she was heavily featured on his variety show then Dolly broke out on her own and had a very very, and has now had a very fabulous 40-year career as a solo artist with her hits including Jolene and I Will Always Love You, My Tennessee Mountain Home, A Coat of Many Colors, uh, Say You'll Forever Be Mine, um, and super fun fact, as you all know, and I, I Will Always Love You has topped charts with Dolly as a singer and Whitney Houston, but this song almost went to Elvis. So after Dolly released, Elvis approached- After Dolly wrote it? After Dolly wrote it and released it as her own single, Elvis approached her and wanted to re-record it. And she initially agreed, and then Elvis' team approached her and let her know that it was very typical of the time that any song that he recorded, he got 50% of the royalties and ha. that she would have to sign away over 50% of the rights to the song to him. Joke's on him. Mm-hmm. So she declined and the rest is history. Dolly's won all the awards yeah like literally all the awards she's won grammys she's been nominated for emmys all of this stuff but the thing that i really wanted to highlight as well before we get a little more into her charity work is that dolly has been married to her husband carl dean for 40 years and they are absolutely adorable you never see them together because he does not like the spotlight he never accompanies her to award shows or anything like that he's buried even seen her perform but do you know what she does to make him feel more comfortable? They dress up in disguise to go out together. Oh yeah
1: Miley has said this in interviews before how like the wig and the blonde hair and everything is like Dolly like looks completely different without it and that's how she goes on public when she <laughs> doesn't want to be seen and Dolly Parton is the real life Hannah Montana.
0: <laughs> Seriously it's so
1: cute. Also, Dolly is not an EGOT winner, mm-hmm. but she's an
0: EGOT nominee. Yes. She's been nominated for all of them. Literally all of them. And Dolly's actually had a pretty great acting career as well. Um, she's in one of my favorite movies, Steel Magnolias. and then Oh, right. She is also in 9 to 5, and... Isn't that a song? It, it is a song. She wrote the song for the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. She is also in the Beverly Hillbillies movie. She is. She has a song
1: in the second of the Beethoven movies about the St. Bernard.
0: <laughs> she does. She, was, uh, she had a cameo in Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous right 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 i remember that we (gasps) almost had her again in the hannah montana movie but her part got cut the audacity right and I know. And just to get back, touch on her philanthropy a little bit more. Dolly does a ton of literacy work through the Dollywood Foundation, um, which obviously she created herself. Is her legal name Dolly? Yes. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dolly does a ton of literacy work. She has a program called Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. All kids who are signed up, she will mail them one book per month from the time of their birth until the time they start kindergarten. And you said this is international? International. Currently she She's providing books to over 800,000 children in the US, Canada, UK, Australia, and Europe. Good golly, Miss Dolly. Seriously. So thank you, Dolly Parton, for everything that you're doing. Women are amazing. Seriously. Be sure to follow up on our Instagram to see even more women that we'll be highlighting this month that we didn't get to talk about today. So if you're curious about someone who we didn't mention or you want to hear a little bit more about people we have mentioned, feel free to DM us at anomniapod on Instagram to let us know what you'd like to hear a little bit more about. In the meantime, grab your coffee bowls and don't forget to rate, download, and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So again, head on over to at inomniapod and let us know what you would like to hear about in the comments. Bye! And to
1: close us off, I just Googled quote about women and my favorite one found women who seek to be equal with men lack ambition. Marilyn Monroe.
0: So she means we should be superior, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking.